rocks and stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit they say they want the kingdom but they don't want God in it yeah I went with nothing nothing but the thought of you the mecca of mormonism salt lake city utah this is heart of the matter where mormonism meets biblical christianity face to face and i'm your host sean mccraney if you have family or friends who can't watch us live have them go to the internet at hotm.tv and they can watch the uh, show from anywhere in the world live streaming video just another website review and uh HOTM.TV is all about the show, past shows, uh, streaming video, event information. BornAgainMormon.com is where you can find about our ministry, our purpose. And uh, LordsWord.org is where you can find about the services we have here in Salt Lake City. I was a born-again Mormon. It's the book that kind of started this, uh, the whole thing. And it's available at Gift of Grace Bible Supply in Springville utlm.org, which is a great site to get information on all things LDS, New Life Christian Book in Layton, Lifeway Book in Salt Lake City, Oasis Book in Logan, Christian Gift in Bible in uh, Salt Lake City or Sandy, and of course, you can also pick the book up at www.bornagainmormon.com. If you can't afford the book, write us and tell us, and we'll send one out to you free. And if you don't want to pay for it because you have some reason to, that you think you're supporting the ministry, let us know and we'll send you one out uh, free too uh, because we want you to read it and understand the purpose of the ministry. Get your calendars out for the month of July. We have some fun things coming up. We hope you'll participate. July 12th, Saturday, an open water baptism in the Logan area. It's going to be in a river. We have a number of people who are going to come and express publicly their faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized non-denominationally, but unto the Lord. And so uh, you can go to our website at bornagainmormon.com, hotm.tv, and get information on that. On the 14th of July, that's a Monday, here at the studios on Redwood Road in Salt Lake City, uh, you can come down between 9 in the morning and 6 p.m. anytime during that we'll be here all day. And we're going to sit on this set and I'm going to interview you about your experience of coming to know the Lord and leaving Mormonism for a full relationship with Jesus Christ. So uh, we would love to hear from you. Don't be shy. If you're afraid of repercussions, as I said, we can blank out your face, alter your voice, and, uh, and just want to hear your testimony about how it happened with you. Whether it was through our ministry or someone else's ministry is irrelevant. We just want to hear your story. And then on the 28th of July, we're going to have a book signing at New Life Christian Book in Layton. It's at 1550 North Main, and we would invite you to come out there if you want to meet and greet, talk, whatever it is. That's a new bookstore, and we hope the people in that area will support it. Project Abandoned Ship. What is it? It is a step 
It is a kickstart for some people. It's a message or signal to the LDS church that you're not going to take being on their membership rolls anymore, counted as one of their 13 million, and, uh, and yet you have no really affinity, belief uh, to the church. Taking that step might help kickstart you into a relationship, free you up from the chains that uh, you have been tied to with that religion without having any real relationship to it. So what we're suggesting that you should do is take, write the church and ask them to take your name off the records. Uh, we think it will be a liberating experience and it will send a message loud and clear to Salt Lake City. Change some things. I don't want anything to do with it until you do. You can go to utlm.org or you can also go to bornagainmormon.com and get information on how to write that letter, who to send it to, etc. Uh, the most common comment I get from the LDS, besides mocking me as a person, uh, is about how gentle and loving and accepting they are of people of all faiths. How we never pick on anybody and, and, and just how we just love everybody. And Sean, you're such a mean, mean man because you're always picking on us. And, and I'm really not picking on you. I'm picking on the doctrine. But nevertheless, I want to show you a video clip. This is at a missionary conference. It's held in an LDS church. It's LDS missionary. And he is just showing his love for uh, Christian preachers and pastors. Let's run that clip. That's where I stand. And I'm going to tell you now. This is, but it is not the last ride over Brown's field. This is, but it is not the last time you will hear the yellow. And I need you to give me an amen. I want to pray. Amen. You see all the missionaries there with their video cameras and how they're responding, mocking how uh, Christians will say amen to what the preacher is saying. Especially in the black community, that was really actually mocking a black, uh, the way a black preacher who are so effective at preaching the word and get you really fired up to hear the word. They're mocking that. And then uh, the hallelujah, you know, that, you know what that means? That's the Hebrew word for praise the Lord. They're mocking hallelujah there. When people say hallelujah, they are mocking that. This is missionaries who go knocking on your door who claim to be so full of love and so full of just compassion and acceptance. It's baloney. I've been there. And let me tell you, behind the scenes, it is a mockery. We called uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. When you cross someone's lawn, we call it J-dubbing it. We called nuns in the Catholic Church zeros. Uh, it goes on and on and on. And going back to the temple ceremony, the temple film, they have a, a, a Protestant preacher teaching the people Satan's doctrine. They always will come and say, we are so loving and kind, and yet all this stuff exists. So I just wanted to give you a first -hand ex another firsthand experience of how I'm not making it up. This stuff is really out there. The man worship continues to roll along. An antiques dealer in Logan, Utah, a friend of mine told me this story recently. He placed a beautiful sign behind the counter of his antique shop and it said Amazing Grace on it. And he's a Christian man and his wife and they're lovely people. And an LDS customer who he knows, stalwart in the faith, came in and she looked up at the sign and she said, Oh, how wonderful. 
how beautiful. And the owner was kind of surprised that she responded to Amazing Grace that way until she said, I have a granddaughter named Grace. And uh, he said to her, you know, I don't think that that's really what the sign is intended for. And she stopped and she said, well, her name is Grace. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a difference in perspective. And it's very difficult with the nuance to separate the two. It's like teasing uh, a weed out of a very delicate flower. And when you try to do it, some things get damaged. When you try to separate the nuance of Mormonism from Christianity, sometimes it isn't loud and clear, and it seems like I'm really nitpicking. But bottom line, anybody who's had a regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ, who knows, bows, worships him, says hallelujah without mocking, will see amazing grace and know exactly what that means biblically. You take it to the Mormon level, they do not understand it because it is contrary to their doctrine and contrary to their heartfelt beliefs. Uh, I want to give you a little walk through an email. This is a couple paragraphs, but I think it's important to hear. I'm going to give you insight into the email exchanges that I have with people, and we, see, we receive several hundred a week, and this is one. It says, this is from Patty. Sean, I, as I watch you, I grow so incredibly grateful for my husband of 38 years who has served in three bishoprics and on the high council. He is a stalwart, faithful man. His love for the Lord and desire to be his disciple is tremendous. It is beyond my comprehension how you can be raised in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go on a mission. Serve the Lord in leadership capacities. Bless with your priesthood authority and then say it's not true. The LDS faith has not let you down, Sean. You have let yourself down. You have let yourself go. I have only watched a few of your shows. You are so full of guile. Look it up in the dictionary. But she spelled guile, G-I-L-E. Your show is not about turning people to the Lord, but about turning, trying to destroy the LDS faith. It will never happen. As I have seen you become angered and defensive in some of your answers, I see a sorry excuse for a man who looks unkept, uncaring, and could not stand next to a faithful priesthood holder and look him in the eye. It goes on and on and on and on. I wrote her back and I said, amidst all of your wonderful accomplishments and status symbols, Patty, have you unequivocally been born again? The tone of your email suggests no. She wrote me back, boy, what a reply. I can tell you just change the name and send the same message to everybody. Nice to know I could shut you up. Her heart is beginning to reveal itself. I said, uh, this is not silence on my part. It's agreeing with my adversary quickly. It's turning the other cheek again. Have you been born again, Patty? She wrote, uh, uh, I don't think that we avoid the word of God. Give me a break. Are we talking about the same LDS religion? And then she wrote, I don't need to be born again. I did it right the first time. And I don't need your truth. I have God's. Um, as I continued to go back and forth, in the end I said, I do this because I love you. And she became more and more aggressive and acerbic. This is an insight into the email exchange with the people who claim to be Christian, who do everything they can to say they're Christian. And I believe there are some Christian LDS people. But in general, the doctrines have taken them and made them anything but children. Now, they use tactics when it comes to a show like this or to Sandra Tanner's website or anybody who comes out. And they, first they say you're uh, anti-Mormon. They attack the man. 
this past week, I've gotten a lot of emails that are attacking me because of my looks, my appearance. Last week's bandana show sent some people over the edge. Now, if you've watched the show for any amount of time, you'll see that some, most of the time I'm unbuttoned because I want you to see that I uh, don't wear garments and it's just a purposeful thing to show you. Uh, I also don't shave sometimes. Sometimes my hair is buzzed. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes I dress better. Sometimes I dress down. The reason I do that, just to let you know, because people have been asking since the bandana thing, is I want you to know that clothing and how someone looks does not matter to me. It doesn't matter how somebody looks. And I think that's important because I think it's biblical. Let me talk to you about outward appearance for a second. The Lord said in 1 Samuel 16, 7, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The LDS look on the outward appearance. It's one of their first signs to see how kept you are, how well you're dressed. Jesus said to the Pharisees, very fitting, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanliness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The outward appearance, it means nothing. Henry David Thoreau, not in the scriptures, not in the Bible, said, trust no enterprise that requires new clothes. Jesus Christ himself walking today, 2008, I don't think would be wearing an LDS suit and white shirt and tie. You have the wrong message and you've had it wrong from the beginning. This isn't Mormon bashing. This is getting to the heart of the matter. This is getting to some of the differences that make Christians Christians and LDS LDS. Jesus even said, judge not on his appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Paul said, for we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that we may be somewhat to them which glory in appearance. He, he cautioned about people who glory in appearance. What about Absalom? Do you remember David's son? It says of Absalom, but in all of Israel, there was none to be so praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his feet, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in Absalom. What kind of person was Absalom? Not a good one. Uh, when the children of Israel were looking for a king, they went out and they sought after a king against God's will. But God let his permissive will come in and they, he let them choose a king. Who did they pick? They picked a guy named Saul. Why did they pick Saul? It says, for he, had, uh, he was a choice young man. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he from his shoulders and upward. He was higher than any of the people, a tall, handsome, stately man. And he turned out to be a disaster as a king. And then we have the parable of Jesus and the fig tree. Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he goes up and he sees a fig tree afar off having leaves, it says. He came, if haply he may, might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, fig leaves. For the time of the fig was not yet. That is symbolic of outward religion. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they went to hide themselves, they took fig leaves to cover their sin. And that was a covering, a man-made covering to make themselves look 
outwardly righteous when in fact they were covering the shame of their own guilt. The same thing holds true with this uh, teaching of Jesus coming up to the fig tree. It's nothing but leaves. Religion makes many people nothing but leaves. He wants the fruit, and the fruit is mentioned perfectly throughout the gospel. So one other thing, um, this was in the paper. If you are LDS, you're silenced by your leaders because you swear that you will listen to them and obey them. You aren't allowed to speak out against them. And uh, if you are not silenced, they will remove you from the church. And then if you have been removed from the church, you will become anathema to the other people and illegitimate because you are no longer a member and they will assign to you that you are evil and you have fallen and that you are this and that. In the uh, Sunday's paper, uh, I believe it was the uh, Tribune, uh, a person sent this to me. The article was called Drawing Controversy in Utah, and it was about the cartoonist Cal Grondahl. And I quote, in addition to cartooning for the paper, he also illustrated a series of successful Mormon humor books. However, the LDS church officials didn't find the books funny, and Grondahl was given an ultimatum in 1985 by Wendell Ashton, publisher of Deseret News. Grondahl was supposed to, was told he had to get prior approval from the church before he submitted any more drawings for Mormon humor books. He said, it made me feel that I couldn't do anything even on my own time. So it's, it's control, it's control, it's control, and if you won't conform, they'll cast you out, and then you'll be legitimized by everybody else. It's a, tough, it's a tough gig. It's tough to be honest. Finally, last week we had a person call and said that when he stopped being Mormon, he stopped lying. I received emails that were uh, upset about that, mostly from the LDS, saying that's just not fair and not true. But my friend Grandpa Al opened my eyes to this as I talked to him the other day. He said, you know, when you are dressing a, a certain way, because you have to, that's a form of deception. When you uh, go and do your temple recommend interviews, you show some, me somebody who has a temple rent recommend interview uh, card that they've passed, they have lied. You cannot get through that thing without telling some sort of lie. Um, when you uh, read their history, you are reading lies. When you read their manuals, you're not reading the full thing. You're reading a, a twisted version of what the history actually was. When you... Um, uh, have people who are having to take Prozac when you have the highest suicide rate for males in the nation between men of age of 15 to 24, you have a huge problem with people living deceptively and trying to put an outward image that impresses everybody. It's not biblical. It's not right. So uh, I will take off on that and we'll have a prayer and, uh, and then we'll go into tonight's brief message. Lord, we love you. And we want you to see our hearts. We want uh, people to realize that you look at the heart, that you will accept the poor, you will accept the rich, you'll accept all who come to you and confess you and believe in your heart that you are the, indeed the Christ. We pray for our audience, uh, wherever they may be, and for our staff, in Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, we're going to, oh, I promised some people that we were going to be talking about the Trinity tonight. I ran out of time for such a subject. Next week, I promise you, we are going to talk about the Trinity, and I'm going to do my best to use a scriptural 
uh, presentation of how the Bible does teach a Trinity and how it refutes the LDS position that the Trinity doesn't work. But tonight, in the interim, I want to talk to you about something unusual and different, and that is hymns, the LDS hymns. Now, this is the current hymn book. It was published in 1985. It's the hymn book that they currently use, and um, this is the hymn book they used prior to that, and it was published in 1948, and they used this one from 1948 all the way up till 1985, and now this one is no longer. It's very interesting when you go through, I took about a month of time uh, a couple years ago, and I went through all the hymns, and I did research, and it's very interesting. In fact, there's some things to applaud the LDS for in the choice of hymns. There are a number of hymns in their book that were written by Christians, and they have a complete and doctrinally sound Christian message. Unfortunately, there's also a number of hymns that were written by LDS, which are uh, doctrinally insane and unsound, and so you have this mixture, and you don't get a clear perspective of the gospel truth. This is why it is so confusing for people when they are LDS and they hear people say, you don't believe in Jesus. When they know that they sing hymns that actually are Christian hymns that do speak of Jesus and speak well of him and speak truthfully of him. The problem is in the mix. The problem is in the purity. You have a mixture and you have additions to God's gospel. And so you have a people who are misled. And that is what we fight for. We fight for doctrinal purity and not something that is man-made by Joseph Smith and et al. afterward who have come up with their own things. So I just want to give you a couple things to think about when it comes to the hymns. And, uh, and this is going to be posted on the website. It's actually rather lengthy. But um, for instance, in the 1948 version of I'm a Pilgrim, I'm a Stranger, there was the line said, guide me, Savior, guide me, Savior, where the 1985 version was re-edited, guide me, Father, guide me, Father. No notice of the alteration was made at the bottom. They just made the change, and somebody decided that guide me, Savior is not appropriate, and it's got to be guide me, Father. But on a, on a very, pop, uh, a very uh, positive note, and remember, I will talk about positive things if they've happened, in Rock of Ages... One of the classic Christian hymns, it contained only two verses in the 1948 version. But in the 1985 version, the LDS Church added a verse and placed it in the middle of the text. Now listen to this verse that's in there. It says, Not the labors of my hands can fill all thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. So we have truth that is mixed in with that. But then at the same time, we have horrible, uh, and, and the list goes on and on about different changes that have happened between those two texts. But we also have uh, things that talk about um, Kolob, the planet closest to where God lives. If you could hide to Kolob and... Um, we have a 134 unacceptable hymns. One's called Adam on Diamond. One of them's called Son of Michael, He Approaches. Someone ought to just take the book of the 1948 hymn and read the text for Son of Michael, He Approaches, and then take the 1985 hymnal and read the text for Son of Michael, He Approaches. Because they have taken out key phrases that used to teach the Adam-God doctrine 
perfectly in the 1948 version and before, and then they've altered it now to make it seem like the Adam-God doctrine wasn't taught at all. The question that you, I have for this is, again, what about all those people who believed the hymn as they, up to 1948, up to 1985, they bought into it, and then suddenly the change? I have a quote on suicide that Bruce R. McConkie gave, and he said it is an uh, unforgivable murder for which there, uh, you can say that a person was depressed or out of his mind, but there is no excuse for it, none. They've changed their tone on that. That's great. But what about the people who believed when McConkie said it's an unforgivable murder of the self? Even if you were out of your mind, it's not forgivable. What about all those people in the chains? And what about the people today who are buying into what they're saying today, which will change down the road? That's the whole concept behind the hymns. Uh, there are hundreds of them that are good, and there are hundreds of them that are not. And they teach a false gospel. And just that little bit of untruth is enough to sway a person to miss the important message of salvation by grace through Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to leave it at that. We'll post that on the site if you want to see all the list of hymns that were written by LDS people that are acceptable even, uh, LDS people that are unacceptable, Christian people that are acceptable, and there are seven hymns in there that were written by Christians that to me are doctrinally unsound. So, you know, it's an interesting process. We're going to open up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We prefer LDS callers, first-time callers. If you're an LDS apologist, don't call us. I don't care about. I want people who are seeking. Or if you have an honest question, great. And then we also would prefer people who... Uh, that you're a first-time caller if you're not LDS. All right, let's go to Greg in Massachusetts, a first-time caller. Greg, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Um, here's my question for you. Was born and raised Roman Catholic, converted to LDS, had my name removed, decided I was going to go back. But I stopped it at the last discussion because I couldn't believe it and I couldn't be passive about it. But I'm still having these, I guess I want to use the word sort of like a seductive spirit of enticement of going back into the church. Yeah. I'm wondering, because a lot of times I go there, people have a testimony, like, oh, I know the church is true, people, I feel the Spirit call me. I'm wondering, I never had a testimony of the Book of Mormon, but I'm wondering now, is it these feelings that people just automatically say, hey, I have this feeling of wanting to be here, so therefore, this is the true church. Yes. The feelings are a strong draw, and the feelings are strong. I mean, there's unity there. I guess it would be like being in a strong uh, group of Marines or soldiers, male or female, and you bond, you bond together and you work together and you overcome obstacles together. And there's an esprit uh, de corps. There's a, a feeling of, of love and unity with that. And that feeling is true. It's a good feeling. And you want to belong to something where people call you brother or sister. And so I don't, I don't discount the feelings being real. The problem is, is that they don't, they don't, they're not indicative of truth. And that's, that's why you need the word. Because I, I couldn't, I couldn't live a lie. Right. The, it, it's not the, it's not the people or the organization. It's the doctrine. You heard the doctrine being taught, and you just said, "There's no way I can buy that." Exactly. So the way to help yourself, Matthew, is is to open up the Word of God, right? And, and that is going to help diffuse and uh, erode some of those things away that will override those feelings. That's my suggestion to you. Also, of course, prayer and fellowship with like-minded believers. Uh, who can help strengthen you and see the error of uh, the ways that so many people go back uh, because they just don't find the same camaraderie in a Christian church. And it's unfortunate. Hey, thanks, Sean. I hey, appreciate it. Thanks for the call.
Have a good one. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. And, you know, uh, that is a problem with the uh, uh, Christian church, and I think it's also a problem with uh, what people have come to believe church is for. You know, they have come to believe that church is really for, mostly for a social setting, to become a secondary family, and to have basketball and events and entertainment, and, and, and you pretty much can get all of those things plus in the LDS church, plus, plus a lot of teachings. And the Christian community, you know, we're going to create stronger Christians if we get into the Word and we're willing to let people walk out the doors who are bored with hearing the Word and go to the other popular places that aren't teaching it. Uh, it's a tough, tough situation in these last days. All right, let's go to Michael and Ogden. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing? I just got a couple quick questions, and um, I'm going to send... Can I get your email address? I wanted to send you something, uh, 22 uh, proofs of the from the Old and New Testament versus of uh, the Trinity. I was going to send that. Maybe that'll help you out next week. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at bornagainmormon.com. Okay, got that. All right, um, and I'm just going to shoot a couple questions, and I'm going to get off. Okay. Um, and these are questions, honest, sincere questions. A couple I don't know, but a couple um, I want to throw out to people that are still in the church. Uh, first, what was the original sin of humankind? I want you to write that one. Yeah, as I see you doing. <laughs> um, according to the Bible, that is. And then ask an LDS person, because I asked a friend of mine that's still in the church um, what they think was done in the original temple of the Bible. You know what, oh. what, what types of things, and and they they don't understand that it's not what's done the temple today. Yeah. And then uh, the last thing I guess would be, this is a question for myself: How can somebody ask for forgiveness when they commit suicide because they're dead? Do you right. see what I'm saying? Right. Well, uh, and so that's a. You want me to answer this off the air? Yeah, I'm going to jump off and let you go. Okay, man. Appreciate the call. Thanks, Sean. I'll try to get that to you about the trendy. Oh, I really appreciate it. Sure. Bye-bye. Original sin of humankind, uh, disobedience to God. I mean, bottom line. And there's all kinds of interpretations depending on the commentators or scholars. Uh, some say that it was self-will over God's will. Some say that it was laziness. Uh, Adam and Eve wanted to take the shortcut by eating of the fruit of knowledge and not obtain knowledge by going through a relationship with God. And, and there's all kinds of theories and different uh, projections about what all these things ultimately were. But bottom line, the sin from the Christian perspective was sin against God. The LDS perspective, of course, is that it was not a sin because Adam and Eve had no knowledge. And therefore, they, just, they transgressed is what they call it. And it wasn't a sin. And, and, and uh, that's their stance. As far as what the LDS believed, the original temple uh, was about it's a great question because so many latter-day saints go to the temple and they read the word temple in the bible and they without thinking think We're, we have a temple there's temples in the bible we have a temple it's the same absolutely absolutely no uh comparison between what the two do now there's some symbolisms that you could carry over and say well this was symbolically done this was actually done in the old testament temple this is symbolically understood through what we're doing in here now but bottom line all you got to do is read the ceremonies and read masonry and uh, go to utlm.org and you'll get all the information you want to compare and contrast and then you can look at how it's changed 
which is another thing which is so disturbing, is that if it was from God and it was mandatory that you had to go through these rites and rituals in order to enter heaven, you enter through these veils and you have to do these certain things when you go to heaven to do it right, the exact right way to be allowed into heaven, and then they change it on you. And they've changed it so many times and people just accept the changes as well. Okay, God must have changed his mind on this thing that had to be done by my dad last week and now I do it differently. So, you know, change and it's, that's, what a cor that's how corporations survive. When you find a corporation that refuses to change, you usually find a corporation that ultimately will fall over dead because they, don't, or they aren't contemporary and they don't keep up with the trends in business. Well. Mormonism is a fantastic corporation, and they have no problem pulling the rug out from under one doctrine, changing it, altering it, giving it to the people, and the people just scooping it up like a Happy Meal. So uh, uh, we have Barbara from Salt Lake City on the Great Line 4. Barbara, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Barbara? Good, thank you. I have a comment. Yes. At the beginning of the program tonight, yes, when you showed the LDS missionaries mimicking the black ministers, yes, and then you went on to explain what uh, hallelujah meant, yes, right in the middle of your explanation, and when you were talking, they uh, the station drowned you out by putting on the emergency broadcast sound, so we didn't get to hear a lot of what you were saying. Oh, and it happened last week as well as you when you were speaking, and I guess a gentleman called you last week and told you that. Yeah. And um, I thought that was very interesting that it happened again. And were you aware that the emergency broadcast comes from KSL, the LDS-owned station? I didn't know that. Well, there's some information for you. I thought that was very interesting. That's very, that's very uh, interesting information. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. And uh, just okay. so you know, you can keep up on that, see if it happens again. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, anyway, hallelujah means praise the Lord. And uh, if there's an emergency broadcast system when I just said that, we're in big trouble. Let's go to Sean in West Jordan, first-time caller. Sean, you're on the air, heart of the matter. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, I just uh, want to tell you I really appreciate what you're doing out there. I haven't been to church for 25 years, and you're the first one that's piqued my interest at all, and I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Sean. Praise God. Uh, have you found a church out there in West Valley? Uh, I haven't. I've just been watching your show faithfully for about a year now, or maybe a little bit longer, but I just want to tell you about the Mormonicious moment we had this week. Okay. My uh, girlfriend went to her workplace, and she was wearing a, a really nice necklace, had the cross on it, and she was asked not to wear that to her work anymore. They didn't. They didn't want it there. And uh, of course, she went ahead more the next few days. But I just. I don't know. I just found that pretty interesting. And but I would imagine all the CTR rings are okay at work. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Is, is that a company you can say on the air? Uh, no, I'd, I'd rather not. Okay. I, that... just, I just thought you'd find it interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting and it's. what goes on out there. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, good for her for wearing it a few days more. Okay. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks, Sean. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, Mike from Salt Lake City on line three, but let me pick up a few things. This person wrote, his name was Sean as well. He said, every time you say something negative or that serves to discredit the church, you're putting a missionary's life at risk. Believe it or not that there are people out there who do not like Mormons to the extent that they become violent towards them. 
How would you feel knowing that something you said caused a missionary to be harmed or worse? Just because you do not agree with the church doctrine, what does that say about you? Um, it, it says that peace if possible, but truth always. And uh, if the, I doubt very much that the missionaries' lives are at stake because of I'm sharing what the truth is about Mormonism. I think my life has been more at stake from you than the missionaries have been from me. Uh, or what I say. Um, and also, I don't think that, uh, I think the tone of our story is not to take it out and beat up the missionaries or ever harm another person, and we would never in endorse violence at all. So I think you've got it a little bit twisted there, Sean. Let's go to Mike on line three from Salt Lake City. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Uh, <clears throat> appreciate what you're doing, uh, like the other caller said. And I just have a question. I I, I can't agree with you more what you said about outward appearance. It, it's such an important thing, and unfortunately, our society, we, we just look so much at, at the outside and, and, and don't look so towards the inside. Right. I do appreciate that comment. Um, one, one question I did have for you, I was astounded this week to read a report on what some of these televangelists are doing in their personal lives the amount of revenue they're pulling in i mean i know the mormon church pulls in a lot of revenue but some of these televangelists i mean they had people like benny hinn on there they had um joel olstein uh joyce meyer it's incredible the amount of revenue these people are pulling in the houses they're buying the clothes i mean they mentioned benny hinn staying in five thousand dollar a night hotels what what is your opinion of, of this industry? It just seems like you know some, some segment of, of this industry is, is really it appears to be about money and, and kind of the things that you're speaking against tonight. What what do you think about? You know what? I'm not going to mention uh, any of the televangelist names or anybody who does that, but uh, I can't think of something that's going to be more despicable uh, to God in the end that you're taking people's uh, money that is hard-earned and they're giving it and they are using it to glorify themselves and, and create luxuries for themselves and it's sick and there is no way in the world a Latter-day Saint or a Jehovah's Witness is going to look at that stuff on television and say, man, I want to be part of that. It's just a sickening scourge and it's part, it was foretold of in, in Revelation in the last days, men are going to love to hear themselves speak and they're going to say what is, makes their ears, uh, itching ears of others, uh, appealing. And uh, it disgusts me to no end. So uh, there's my uh, very soft response on that, uh, on that sub subject. And it, it's just a horrible situation. But you know, like you said, the LDS Church is very smart. And uh, they just say, listen, your salvation is on the line. If you don't pay us the 10%, you're not going to go to heaven. And uh, that's all there is to it. So it, it's, it's, it's more devious, and it, they're, they're probably getting more. And they, get, they are a very wealthy church considering their size. So they run the same thing. It's just a little bit more business-oriented. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Sean. Hey, thanks for the call. It's a good one. Bye-bye. We're going to Bob in Boise. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi. This is Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Uh, my wife has been prompting me to call you sometime, and I told her one night, I will call when the time is right, and tonight it feels right to me. Okay. So I was, I'm a first-time caller, and I was a Mormon for 31 years, and I was baptized into the Catholic Church with my daughter at her birth, my youngest daughter. 
And I will, I'm basically calling to support your uh, abandoned ship policy because I went through that 31 years ago. And you talk about a lift of freedom. Uh, there was nothing like that when I went through that process. Good. Um, I had people ask me, why did you do that? Why did you put yourself through that? And I simply said to them, it's a matter of sacrifice. Uh, it's a small thing that we can do to honor the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us. And when I view it that way, there was no sacrifice involved at all because what he did was much greater than what I could ever do on the face of the earth. Amen. So an encouragement to people who are troubled with that concept, don't be troubled by it. Use it as a building block for your own salvation and your own uh, relationship with Christ. And for the last 26 years, it's been a wonderful walk with Christ. And, and I'd just like to encourage all of those people and support you in your abandoned ship, and hopefully that will shed some new light for people who are trying to survive that concept. Bob, uh, thank you so much. You know, uh, if you've watched the show, you know, I make a lot of mistakes, and uh, some of them are my ideas, and I, I had the idea of keep your name on the record, so what? Stay in there and don't worry about that and walk away. It doesn't matter, and, and I was wrong, and, and I, I publicly repented for that and changed my mind because what you said makes complete sense, and I never saw it that way, and uh, it is so important, and I really do uh, love what you've said because for so many people, they are just wishy-washy, and, and I love it when I meet them because I can say, are you LDS? And there's a huge pause, and they say no. And then you, and I say, well, are you still on the, well, I'm still a member, but, and you know, if they would just take that step, it might, it might be enough of a step of faith where something miraculous happens in their life like it did with yours. Well, let me just add one thing. I've always believed that God honors commitment because he was committed to us. And when I say God, I say that in the relationship between Christ and God. Yeah. And I really believe that he honors commitment. And I think in order for us to truly be born again, whether it be in, it doesn't matter what form of Christian religion you belong to, right. that commitment to be with Christ and walk with him is, is respected and honored when we do unconditionally what he did for us. And when you honor the commitment he made to us, then your his commitment to you is greater, and he walks in a greater fashion with you every day of your life. And that's what I mean by the freedom that you're lifted with. You can go to him at any time, yeah. pray to him, ask him for help. It may not come when you want it or how you want it, but mark my words, in the last... 26 years, it always comes in some form or, or another, and, and I believe that comes from the commitment that we are willing to make to him in regards to the absolute commitment he made to us, and he does honor when we commit back to him, and that's really all I've got to say. So Thanks so much. I really you. appreciate it. Goodbye. Okay, bye-bye. Um, I'm a little bit slow tonight, and I, and I want to tell you a quick story. I flew to another state uh, uh, yesterday, and uh, I was part of an intervention with a couple. There, I know very few people who are more uh, down-to-earth, accomplished, successful, and who were dedicated to Mormonism than them and their children. 
And um, they gave their life, they gave their all, they built their marriage on their activity to this religion. And it could have been activity in another religion too, but I know it was Mormonism because that's how I know them. They are now uh, probably going into divorce. And I went to participate in an intervention that was going on. And this dear brother and friend of mine who gave his many, many years to just give it all in high positions, much higher positions than I ever had in the LDS church, just totally cracked because of the weight and the burden that was under him. And he just fell apart and she fell apart. And there's questions as to if God exists, the marriage is decimated. And they always say, we're about families, we're about families. But they do all they can to keep those husbands and wives separate and in meetings and working for that institution. Now, you can build your uh, marriage on, on religion and Mormonism if you want, and sometimes that's very effective. But I saw just the other day the decimation of some of the most wonderful people in a family because of Mormonism. And uh, it just adds to the fire I have in my heart to let people know you need a relationship, not a religion. Let's go to Alex in Spokane, Washington. Alex, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, great. Good to be talking to you. Glad you're on the air. What's happening? Hey, I just uh, wanted to tell you thank you so much for uh, what you're doing here. I discovered your show about six months ago on YouTube, and I've been listening to it ever since. Oh, awesome. Well, I, uh, are you LDS or were you? Uh, no, I'm ne I've never been LDS, but however, uh, a lot of my friends are. My work acquaintances are, and uh, ever since watching your show, I've been able to talk about a lot of various subjects that you've presented on the show. Oh, good. One of the main ones was on the Pearl of Great Price. Oh, good. Being able to challenge that one, and I've read the Pearl of Great Price myself, and uh, I've been able to talk to some of their missionaries just out of curiosity for their religion, and that was one of the topics that I last talked about with them. <laughs> wow. And uh, a lot of the things that I had to tell them, which were just, you know, uh, just parchment, really, right. and showing them what they what these uh, uh, figments of uh, really were. Right. Uh, these facsimiles, I think that's what they call them. Right, facsimiles, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they didn't really have a reply to it, but their reply wasn't really off of evidence or common sense. It was off of testimony. Always. Yeah, and that's basically, I find that with everything. All the evidences that I brought that you suggested have always been on testimony of men. Yeah. And uh, I thought find that striking how Christians rely on the testimony of the Bible and the truth of the Bible, and the Mormons rely so much on the testimony of other people. Yes. So yeah, I just absolutely. thought I'd say thank you so much for your help, and uh, I've made my decision, and my testimony is in the Bible and not the Book of Mormon. <laughs> awesome, Alex. Thank you so much for the call. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. God bless. Bye-bye. That was a nice call. Let's go to Taylor and Bountiful, first-time caller. Taylor, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, uh, you, I remember you saying that that an LDS member is not Christian. And I was wondering, why are they not Christian? What makes a Christian a Christian? Okay. It's a really, it's a valid question. Um, and I have, to I have to clarify it. I believe that there can be Christian people within Mormonism, but I believe Mormonism does not produce Christians. And I know that's kind of uh, hair-splitting, but it really isn't when you think about it. What makes a Christian a Christian is they believe what the Bible teaches is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches unequivocally that we are saved by grace, 
with nothing that we can do to save ourselves, nothing, that our works are as filthy rags, that if it was by our works we would be proud, it is by the grace of God that we are saved through faith by the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ, period, end of story. What Mormonism does is it takes that concept, it redefines what saved is, and then it adds on a bunch of things you have to do within the confines of that religion in order to be saved, meaning in order to live with God. And then couched in all that is a bunch of superfluous doctrines that are completely man-made from Joseph Smith's mind, imaginative mind, and it leads people even further away from the cross. And so it is, it's, it's not as big a, big a deal as some people would think. The Bible lays out a very simple plan. Jesus came, he died on the cross, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you are saved. Mormonism takes it and they give you a huge superstructure that you have to embrace, which includes a lot of servitude and bondage to the LDS church. That's why I fight against it, because I know people are in bondage to doctrines and traditions that do nothing but keep them chained to an institution and not free and at liberty with the love and peace of Jesus Christ. Does that help answer your question? I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I just gave you some of my best stuff, dude. What, uh, what, do you have further? Are you LDS? No, I'm just kidding. That was a shitty answer. Oh, you're a, you're a mean guy. Come on, you can't say that on the air. Are you still on there? All right, he hung up. Listen, uh, quickly, for my atheist friends out there, a uh, quick story. I'm, you may have heard it, but I liked it. It says, a man went to a barber shop to have his hair cut and his beard trimmed. As the barber began to work, they began, began to have a good conversation. They talked about so many things in various subjects. When they eventually touched on the subject of God, the barber said, I don't believe that God exists. Why do you say that, says, said the customer? Well, you just have to go out in the street to realize that God doesn't exist. Tell me, if God exists, would there be so many sick people? Would there be abandoned children? If God existed, there would be neither suffering nor pain. I can't imagine a loving God who would allow all of these things. The customer thought for a moment but didn't respond because he didn't want to start an argument and wasn't sure of what to say. The barber finished his job and the customer left the shop. Just after he left the barber shop, he saw a man in the street with long, stringy, dirty hair and an untrimmed beard. He looked dirty and unkept. The customer turned back and entered the barber shop again, and he said to the barber, You know what? Barbers don't exist. How can you say that? asked the surprised barber. I'm, I am here, and I am a barber, and I just worked on you. No, the customer exclaimed. Barbers don't exist because if they did, there would be no people with dirty long hair and untrimmed beards just like the man outside. Ah, but barbers do exist. That's what happens when people do not come to me as a barber. Exactly, affirmed the customer. That's the point. God, too, does exist. That's what happens when people do not go to him and don't look to him for help. That's why there's so much pain and suffering in the world. I thought that was good. We're going to Arthur on line three. Arthur, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Arthur, you're on the air. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Okay. My yeah. question is, did Joseph said that the Book of Mormon was the most perfect book ever written, right? Right. Okay. Is temple marriage mentioned in that book? 
Temple marriage is not mentioned in that book. Baptism for the dead mentioned in that book? Baptism for the dead not mentioned in that book. Okay, so I'm talking to a buddy at work. He says that in the Nicene Creed thing or okay. something, they said that these guys got together and they took baptism for the dead and temple work out of the Bible. Oh, nice. So if the Book of Mormon was supposed to be the most perfect book and another testament of Jesus Christ, I mean, how did it miss two books? Right. It's a great, it's a great uh, comment, uh, but they will backtrack on saying that's why we believe in continued revelation. The Book of Mormon was another witness of Jesus Christ, but the, the full restoration of the gospel came by direct revelation through Joseph Smith, who then provided the Doctrine and Covenants, and now they're saying that the Pearl of Great Price was received by revelation instead of by him translating the papyrus, which is what they always stood behind until they actually found the papyrus and found them faulty. So they, you're, it's a great point. But uh, it, it, there's, he's, Joseph Smith is saying it's the most correct book, but it doesn't uh, uh, give you everything you need. And I guess that's how they justify it. Okay. Well, I think the Bible gives you everything you need. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know what else is interesting is the Koran uh, calls it itself the most correct book on the face of the earth. So, I, I, you know, I, I guess you've got to make that qualifier if you want to beat out the Bible for readers. Uh, good call, Arthur. Appreciate it. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Jeremy in Mill Creek. Jeremy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jeremy is gone. We're going to Jason and Sandy. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jason? Yes. You're on the air. Good. Yes. What's happening? Hi. Hi. I am a first-time caller, and I'm LBS. Uh-huh. very confused. You're confused? Well, I've watched it a couple times. And I've seen it, I guess, your former LDS. Yeah. And so you get all your knowledge from that. But I don't understand why you don't have more callers that are LDS. Well, and where are you getting your information from? Where am I getting my information from? Yes. Well, uh, give me uh, uh, some specific information you're wondering about. Because every one of the shows, the notes are on the uh, Internet. And uh, you can go and you can check anything I've said. And uh, for the most part, I, I don't think I've had anybody correct me on my historical facts or the teachings and doctrines of Mormonism. Because, and that's why the LDS aren't calling. Because they may go to their library and say, you know, I don't agree with that at all. And they start reading. They say, well, that's true. You know, so what, give me something specific you mean, and I'll tell you where I got that information. A lot of the information that I've heard so far um, has been, like, prophets or from Joseph Smith. Yeah. I mean, have you watched the Joseph Smith papers at all? No. No. Why not? Well, one, I don't live in Utah, and two, I've read uh, as many books possible on Joseph Smith's life from LDS and non-LDS, and three, it is produced by the LDS church, isn't it? But of course, I mean... Well, so I, why would I watch that? Well, because it... it so, I can get a slanted, of, so I can get a slanted view? I want to go to the historians who give me the full picture and not the LDS picture. Well, if you're going to get a, get a historian, you'd want a historian that can get accurate information. Yeah, and I read the historians that are very accurate. From the people who are directly involved in it. I mean, I'm not saying that everything that, that, that every church that says, hey, I got a historian in my church that says this or that. I'm just saying, hey, give it, give it the benefit of the doubt. Of, of what, though? you got to be, be specific of what you're talking about, Jason. 
I mean, what am I saying that is not... You claim that you say, you say that, okay, the Bible's the only word of God, right? Yeah. Then where is your authority? Where's what? You, you just read the Bible and tell me exactly what the Bible says? I, I'm sorry, I, I read the Bible. King James Version? Yeah, I read the King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> You're breaking up, my friend. Say it again. He must have been on a cell phone. Try calling back, Jason. That's not my doing. I would love to talk to him. Uh, the Lord must have cut him off. <laughs> Let's go to Jeremy and Mill Creek again. Back on line four. Jeremy, you're on uh, the air. Hello, Sean. Hello, Jeremy. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment that uh, I, uh, I was baptized Mormon when I was uh, eight, like most people in Utah. Uh -huh. And uh, before watching your show, my uncle turned me on to it. Um, the word Jesus in Christianity uh, meant something negative in my life. Right. Um, hip hypocrisy and, and putting down. And I just wanted to let you know your breath for a chair. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Yep. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to uh, end with a, uh, a quick story. Again, this is kind of a unique show. It's different tenor, but uh, it says uh, one of the most interesting things that I have read about the father of Methodism, John Wesley, is that one day he was preaching to a great open-air crowd in London. Mr. Wesley made this statement. The love of God is so great and wonderful, and Jesus loves people so much that he would even save anybody the devil does not want. He would even take the devil's castaways. After he preached, Lady Huntington asked John Wesley to her home for tea. As they were seated, someone in the royal family took Mr. Wesley to task. Quote, we heard you preach today, but you went too far. You said the Lord would save the devil's castaways. We don't agree with you. Just then a servant came in and handed Mr. Wesley a note. When he inquired where it came from, the servant pointed to the glass doors and said, The two old hags from the slums of London are standing yonder on the curb, and they gave this note to me for you. Mr. Wesley took the note, and as he read, a sweet expression showed on his face. The note read, We heard you preach today. We have lived in sin all of our lives. We're the devil's castaways. We're broken in body and soul and in spirit, but today Jesus took us in. After Mr. Wesley read the note, he said, quote, Maybe you didn't agree with it, but thank God two miserable souls out yonder did and accepted it. That's from the Sword of the Lord, uh, June 27, 2008. If you're part of the devil's castaways, which I think I was, which many of the people I know and love are, if you're uh, one of the Lord's favorites, but you haven't come to know him, we offer you the invitation to go to him personally and ask him to become Lord of your life. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and trust him to lead you. He may put you through some hoops, but he knows you and he loves you more than anybody could ever know. And he wants you to be his. And his son came specifically for your soul. He came for you. And he loves you and he wants you. So give him a chance. Go to your room. Go in your car. Ask Jesus into your life and say, open my eyes to the truth. And he will do so. That I can promise next week we are going to talk about the Trinity. Be ready for your calls. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Woo! I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray.
break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my